Welcome, Phoenix fans, to another episode of The Burning Bird. I'm Steve Liner. I will apparently not be doing color commentary for the Philadelphia Phoenix on AUDL.TV because the season will not be starting. However, I'm joined again by my friend and everyone's favorite Phoenix personality, Alexander Shaggy Shragus. Shag, how you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing pretty well. All right, all right. That's, that's, <laughs> I expected, I expected more. I expected more after I've done pretty well, but that's like because it's been a while. It's not like this has not been like uh, we we're recording our third podcast for the day. Uh, I actually haven't all spoken right. in some time. So how you been? Uh, you're right. I've I've been doing well. I I really like the kids that I have uh, in my bunky camp. The thing that I ran into is that yesterday we left camp. It was all hunky-dory. I have to wear a mask all day. Um, I actually got one of these pretty sweet face shields. But the kids only have to – they never they didn't have to wear a mask. Now, yesterday, after camp ended, they email us saying all the kids have to wear a mask all the time, except when they're in the pool. So then this morning the kids come in, and I thought adults complained about wearing masks. It turns out also 11-year-olds complained. A lot of complaining 11-year-olds today about something that's entirely outside of my control. How do you handle the, how do you handle 11-year-olds complaining about masks? Because that's got to be out of your pay grade. Well, a lot of it is I tell them the truth, which is that it's not up to me and it is what's going to happen. So they, if they want to complain about it because they enjoy complaining about it, that's fine as long as they wear their mask. And after you do that about 70 or 80 times, they still complain about it, but they wear their masks. So. Governor Wolf here in Pennsylvania has ordered a mandatory mask wearing when you walk out the side, walk outside of your house. Uh, yesterday, I think it came down. Um, so on uh, on July first. Uh, so uh, you know it, it's been uh, it's been very tough because it's really hot outside, and I work a lot outside and inside of cars right now, and uh, they're like ovens. And when you have a mask on, it's your 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 uh, upper lip sweat goes right through these masks, and it's really tough to keep them clean and sanitary. And and uh, you know, and I'm I'm finding it to be a little bit of a problem. No question about it. So yeah, I think you should get one of these face shields. First of all, it like straps into my forehead, so built-in sweatband right there. It's perfect, and then nothing touches my face, which is ideal. I'll have to check out the uh, the face shield there, Shag. Right now, I'm uh, I'm 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 uh, rocking a phoenix necky, so uh, I I have to uh, make do with what I have. So, but we are joined in this episode by a very special guest. Another uh, Atlanta Hustle player is joining us. But Matt Smith is joining us from the Atlanta Hustle. Matt, thanks for joining us. What's up, everybody? Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Are you having any uh, mask problems down there in Atlanta? I mean, I, everybody's got mask problems these days. Uh, I've, I know what you're talking about, man. I, I felt that lip sweat comment. Um, I, I've been sweating down here, too. So. Yeah, it's, it's 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 always humid and muggy in Atlanta. I, I like I I hated when I went to a Phillies Braves game at Fulton County Stadium many years ago, and uh, it it was just a steamy mess the whole night. Is that what you're dealing with down there right now, weather wise? It's 
I mean, it's always humid. It's just kind of turned. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Since Corona started, like, 85% of the days have just been beautiful. Uh, uh, of course. Of course that's the way. <laughs> yeah. The amount of Ultimate I would like to be playing, you know, it's just been <laughs> in, like, the 70s. Um, decent cloud cover, like low 80s even. It's been just a remarkable spring. Um, so I am I actually think that's like why, I mean, our cases are bad now, but they weren't for a little bit. And I think it's because, you know, everyone here just went outside when they went places versus, uh, you know, the Texas and Florida folk who who had to get inside in that 100 degree heat. I'm glad to hear it was beautiful, but people were out up here because it was beautiful as well in, in the Philadelphia region. Um, it, it was perfect ultimate weather for many weeks and many Phoenix players lamented how much they missed the game. How much did you miss the game and how much, uh, how much have you missed the game? Um, I, so I've been on a, like a, a pretty heavy rotation of playing, honestly, the last couple of years between, um, doing, uh, you know, the, the pro scene and then, um, playing with Chain Lightning here uh, as a club club team. That's about ten months out of the year. So I've been on a couple um, couple years of that. And uh, this this break, you know, I think it got me out of my rhythm a little bit, like mentally. You know, I've just been so engaged with Ultimate over the last couple of years. But uh, physically, as a uh, you know over thirty thirty year old downfield player, this uh, this break has been pretty nice, honestly. From a physical perspective, I'm I'm not really missing the game, and uh, I'm enjoying my time off. But you know, it certainly messed up my rhythm, and and I was pretty disappointed when the uh, the bubble did not come to fruition. Uh, we were all very disappointed when the bubble didn't come to fruition. Uh, just just to have some pro frisbee to, uh, to to watch and root for would have been totally amazing. And uh, when they pulled the uh, plug on the season, I was I was a, I was a little surprised, but not totally shocked. Uh, is that how you felt? I was uh, I was pretty surprised, mostly because I guess the teams that I were in that I was more in touch with, it it sounded like they were probably gonna have enough players to do to kind of make this thing happen. But um, you know, I, I think just given the way the the virus is playing out. Um, it there's just no way to know. I think, you know, I, the AUDL may end up looking really dumb if in six weeks all the cases are down and, you know, Indianapolis, everything's fine and Indianapolis would have been fine. But, um, you know, I think there's a very good chance that we look ahead of our time and, uh, you know, it looks a lot like it would have been a problem to be holding a tournament, like, in the kind of climate that we may be seeing. So, yeah, I was surprised, uh, disappointed, um, but at the end of the day, you know, I get it. And um, losing a frisbee season, I guess, is a, is a very small sacrifice compared to what a lot of people have had to deal with. So, you know, just uh, sucking it up and moving on. Hey, better safe than sorry, right, Matt? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Uh, yeah, that, that was the consensus. Well, uh, let, let me ask you a question as a guy from Philadelphia. Um, what the hell's up with Florida? Why is no one wearing a mask down there? And you're as a southerner, does that bother you? Like, what's going on? I I got no answers for you, man. Florida is the wildest state. <laughs> no, no, like no question. Some of the uh, 
you know, if you just Google whatever, like, you know, thing, crazy things to come out of Florida, um, it's, it's pretty wild. I got a lot of friends that play Frisbee and are from there now. And, uh, I mean, even they know it, it's, it's just a different place. It's just a different place. There's a, there's a sports radio host up here on, uh, 94 WIP in Philadelphia named Al Morgani. He's in the morning time. And, uh, I was listening to him this morning while driving around and, he uh he said he googles Florida man every morning and something completely strange comes up every time. So I, I guess we should all Google Florida man for entertainment purposes for men. Uh, just the uh, the the lack of masks being worn down there uh, in Florida and in Texas, um and 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 the spike in the uh, in the viruses. Is 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 way scary and um, yeah, I, 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 I pencil. Luckily, Pennsylvania is down right now, but um, I, I expect things to uh, flare back up all across the country just because people aren't being diligent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know I hate to say it, but you can see everybody loosening up a little bit. Um, you know, even, even people who are I would consider you know pretty like aware of public safety and whatnot, you know, see them on, I've noticed in the last kind of week or two, the ultimate community, uh, that's generally, you know, pretty left. Um, there's just, yeah, there's a lot more pictures on Instagram and people not really like social distancing as much. Um, you know, they're outside, which I think is honestly like a big, a big component of it. Um, but I think, you know, for, um, for better or worse, that is what America is. You know, you you have the luxury to kind of do what you want, and I think everybody is loosening a little bit, and um, it's not good. <laughs> like it's it's not great. There are pickup games that are starting around the Philadelphia area, and I I got to think that that poses a little bit of a problem. Would you go to a pickup game right now? Um. I mean, I might. I, I think seven on seven is a little much. I was fairly tuned in with the task force, and uh, as far as what they were saying were the highest rates of transmission and whatnot, and I think, you know, a lot of players were pretty concerned about coming back and playing um, in the bubble, at least according, you know, to this task force, which had a lot of very intelligent people on it. Um, you know, the the risk of transmission was actually pretty low, uh, when playing outside, even in a aerobic sport like uh, ultimate, you know the risk was actually much higher. Um, the risk of transmission was a lot higher for the travel, for obviously staying in the rooms together, um, having people having to drive uh, to the same place. The risk was pretty high, but um, you know, according to them, even if somebody was positive um, and you were playing, as long as you weren't um, you know, breathing heavily or within close contact for more than about 15 minutes, your risk of transmission was pretty low. But I don't know. I mean, I think one of the hardest things now is just like you see people doing some things that, you know, make some sense and then doesn't make sense on another level. Like, you know, I've heard air travel both ways. People are being, you know, I can't believe you would get on a plane. And then other people saying, you know, the HEPA filters are safer than what you would be doing when you go to a protest or if you just go get takeout or, you know, um, so yeah, I don't know with a pickup game, 
nah, I probably wouldn't go to just the full seven on seven, uh, whoever kind of pickup game, but with a group of people that I trusted, I might do a three on three or four on four or something like that. All right. Uh, that, that, that's a very cool view to say. I mean, most people would, uh, would, would say, no way I'm not doing that. Or they would go the other way and say, I'm all in. Um, I think your middle of the road approach is uh, rather respectable. Um, I'm, I'm giving you all the truth. We'll, we'll see if uh, this, uh, we'll see if this ends up being my canceled time, but, uh, giving, uh, giving you all the truth. I know we all, we all have that itch that to go out there and play a little ultimate and, uh, uh, that itch is, is getting harder to scratch and harder to scratch, especially for uh, people like you and uh, Shaggy and uh, Sean Mott of the Philadelphia Phoenix. By the way, what what do you know about the Philadelphia Phoenix? What what can I ask you about the Philadelphia Phoenix that you're uh, that that you know about? Uh, so I'm like fairly tuned into y'all um, as far as like you know I know Mott. Um, I mean I don't know know him, but I met him at the All Star game. Um, really liked him, really enjoyed his company. Uh, it just seems like a scrappy, you know, scrappy little guy, which uh, I'm always going to like. Um, so, yeah, I know about Mott. I know some of your dudes, uh, uh, Himalaya Meta. You sure. know, I, I see him developing and seeing, like, a, you know, obviously an athletic talent on the field. Same with Mike Arcata. I actually work a fair amount with Mike Arcata or have in the last year or so. Um, so I've gotten yeah. to know him pretty well. With the youth outreach. Yeah, yeah, a lot of youth outreach work with him, and we did some stuff uh, looking to start a camp last year that we didn't get off the ground, but we laid a lot of groundwork together, and so, you know, got to know him. And, yeah, I was really looking play, uh, looking forward to playing y'all because I feel like our teams I, – I feel like we would have been the most exciting division. Um, I, think, yeah, what, I think anybody could have won any game. What did what did you what did you think of the new division alignment? Uh, I mean, how like were, were the Phoenix? You, you just said the Phoenix were one of the teams you were excited about playing. What else were you excited about in the new division? Oh, I think I think the new division was the most exciting news um, for me in the AUDL. You know, with the exception of the South starting. Um, I think one of the things for me that's the least fun about the AUDL is just playing teams over and over again and honestly we were lucky in the south for a while we had six teams and then five teams so uh, we did get to mix it up a bunch but you know I'm an NBA fan and like in the NBA you get to play everybody uh, at least once and so um, switching up the teams for me was like huge and it was going to be a lot of fun Um, so I was really looking forward to playing DC I know some of the DC guys um, Philly reuniting. Uh, I haven't, I've played one AUDL playoff game in Philly and, uh, would have looked forward to another actually. Oh, I, I want to talk about your time with the Rhode Island rampage, my friend. How did you end up on that team? So I graduated from Colby college, which is in the middle of nowhere, Maine, uh, small liberal arts college. That's where I found ultimate as a freshman kind of classic story of, uh, you know, I wasn't uh, I wasn't willing to maybe make the basketball team and have to do all those workouts at 5 a.m. and whatever. So found my way to Frisbee. Um, my girlfriend at the time, she's now my wife. She's a year younger. So my senior year, I was working at McLean Hospital in Boston. Um, you know, my girlfriend was up at Colby College, and that was uh, or after my senior year. Yeah, I was I was working in Boston and. That was the first year the ADL started. 
2012, I just saw some sort of random, you know, come down to Rhode Island to try out. It was about an hour away. Um, you know, as, as most ultimate players uh, are known to do, we've, you know, we've all suffered some long drives. So an hour wasn't bad at all. Um, yeah, I just went down there, tried out, uh, did well enough. Honestly, not that many people like really tried out. I think that's happened twice in my career, which has been really fortunate because I was not very well known at either tryout. Um, for Rhode Island, we only had a couple Ironside guys at the time come out. And so it was pretty wide open. Yeah, I made the team. The rest is history. That was actually, it was a ton of fun and a wild ride. And uh, yeah, quite a interesting first year for both the AUDL and, and my own career. Right, where where is your Rhode Island Rampage jersey now? Oh, I still have them. I got both. Oh, I got nice. the orange and the white. I'm okay. not letting those go. <laughs> no, no, that those were cool. Those were you had a you, and it had a, a a rhinoceros on it, if I'm not mistaken. Is it is that correct? Yep, yeah, it had a it got a big old rhino face nail. Hashtag face nail was our uh, nice. was like our early call. And actually, I, I meant to say, I heard y'all talking with Michael about, um, Michael Kiyoi, about a, the teams out in the early years. And Buffalo actually was a team. So y'all were not crazy. There was a team uh, out of Buffalo, the Buffalo Hunters, yes. uh, who we played uh, several times. Oh, my goodness. I forgot about them. Uh, that, that, so we weren't off our rocker. <laughs> All right. No, no, for, they existed. Let's talk about your playoff game in Philly real quick. Was like was that at Franklin Field against the Spinners? I wanted is that the U Penn field? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. Wow. We drew yeah, we drove down. Uh getting there was a whole thing. I don't know if y'all remember, but like the Constitution oh, you, can't, you can't park around Franklin Field. You cannot you just cannot find parking. Oh, I meant even even like the Constitution, oh, yeah. were supposed to be in front of us. They were in the playoffs, oh, and then got that's like right. the got like Constitution. Yeah, yeah, and honestly, I mean, I hate to say it, man. I hate to say it, but they were better than us. They beat us like every time. And uh, I'm from Connecticut. I supported this, that team quite quite heavily. We ended with the third best record in the league, even though we didn't play the back half of our game. I think Connecticut would have won a title, and it would have looked just as funny as it does now in AUDL history books to have the Connecticut Constitution penned in there as the first title. Y'all were good, man. I mean, there <laughs> yeah, were a lot were of good. ballers on that team. Like yeah, they were. Corber and uh, I think Mazer well, was Joe on Smash was on there, CJ Olet, uh Yeah, Mazer was on there. Brent Anderson, I want to say. Um, Hussein Carnegie? Is that yeah. right? Yeah, no, no Hussein uh, Carnegie was on that team. I believe he was. Yeah, and then he moved west. Yeah, yeah Hus- Hussein actually had my welcome to the AUDL moment, I would say, uh, which uh, I-, I can talk about later. I don't want to get off track on uh, getting down to Philly for that playoff game. Um, but, yeah, the, the Connecticut uh, Constitution couldn't play the playoffs, so we got the call fairly last minute, I want to say. Um and just got a team together and drove down there. And that was one of the few games where I just drove down, played, and then immediately left. Like, we, I had to get back for work, so I didn't even, like, get to stay the night. Um, but it was the biggest crowd we'd played in front of. It was, like, super legit. Um, I had a ton of fun. 
I think y'all beat us pretty good, to be honest. I didn't play very well. I remember that. But um, it was the first time, you know, I got to play in front of, like, a bunch of – there were a bunch of people there, and the atmosphere was great, and it was, like, in the city, which I always prefer. Like, I always prefer when the stadiums are, like, in the city and you get to see the city a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I, I honestly don't remember a ton of the game. I remember um, – y'all have some old dude who's just, like, an absolute, like, stalwart of Philly ultimate, uh, Trey something Is that Trey Kaplan back. Yeah. He's a, he's a former <laughs> player coach for the Phoenix. Yeah. He had a play. I remember this is one of the few times, like I, I've had, I've liked to think I have pretty high field awareness to like not get injured. And I just remember backing up and then turning around. I had no idea this enormous human being was there and he just oh, no. came flying through. And I mean, I am so happy that he had the awareness not to just destroy me. Because um, that was one of the few times I just had, I was like, I don't know how I couldn't have known this enormous person was just flying in behind me and just got this monster sky. Um, Did you collide with Trey at all? Because if someone no. collided with Trey, oh, goodness. It, good, <laughs> because it's it, it's miserable. <laughs> you know, he's Throwing a big up. dude, and he was coming in hot. So I was I was happy to have dodged that. All right, so, uh, so you're you're – after your time in Rhode Island, how did you transition to the Atlanta Hustle? Yeah, so I, um, you know, my wife graduated, uh, and we took a really cool trip, honestly, around the world. It was sweet. We did four months uh, abroad. Um, she is from Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, so after our travels, we were kind of – trying to figure out what to do and we ended up moving to Birmingham where we started a landscaping business the uh, organic gardening landscaping business for a little bit um, where her family was and yeah to be honest I I'd kind of like thrown in the towel on elite ultimate or like high level ultimate it, it wasn't a real high priority uh, at the time but I was still playing a bunch so the Birmingham Ironmen have a great club team um, so I was playing with them and you know inevitably uh after a year or two the atlanta uh they announced that um the south division was coming and yeah they said there was going to be a team in atlanta and i remember asking my co-captain at the time uh, of the birmingham iron man i said oh that's cool like who's going to play for them and he was just like you are <laughs> and i was like oh yeah maybe I could go do that. Like, I was like, it's reasonable. Like with my schedule, like I could probably work it out. You know, it's a two hour drive, which sucks. But like I said, you, you know, people make sacrifices for ultimate all the time. So yeah, I went to the open tryout. I was super nervous. I didn't know anybody. I was mostly nervous because I couldn't make the closed tryout because I had a previously planned vacation where I was actually proposing to my girlfriend. So like I was like, Yeah, I can't I can't rearrange this. It's in Hawaii where you know where I'm from, like, yeah, like I'm not switching this around. In, life is intervening. <laughs> yeah, so I said I can only make this open one and then, you know, after that, like I'm I mean, I'm down, I'll be at everything. Uh I I wanna be the player that I know I can be for y'all, but I just you know, I, I can't make that close tryout. Um and similarly, like a lot of the chain guys, again, like didn't really take it seriously that first year. And so, um, you know, I think the bar was a little lower and they took me based uh, based on that one open tryout. Um, they took me as a small Asian handler. 
which is pretty funny because that is not my game whatsoever. Uh, at least it wasn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, they they took me on the team. I showed up to practices, and then I remember um, I felt like I was catching a lot of goals in practices, but nobody was really tallying them. But you know, eventually I found myself on the O line, and I, uh, we got our butts kicked on ESPN three to open the season. Uh, open the Southern <laughs> Division. It was rough. Um, but yeah, I caught like seven goals, I want to say, that game. And then we had a double header. And the next day we played Charlotte. Uh, and I was able to follow up with six. And so they just never took me off. <laughs> I just, I made it my job to just show up and do that. And like, you know, not try and over, outplay my role, not turn the disc over. Um, you know, like I said, I didn't know a lot of people. I was just sort of showing up and catching goals and just made sure to do my job and be a good a good teammate, good employee. And, uh, yeah, since then, it's, it's developed into a great relationship with the organization. Well, you, you've been on the Atlanta Hustle now for five years, and you were regularly a 30-assist, uh, 60-goal guy for a lot of years. Um what was that like, and how was your transition into being an older handler man? <laughs> yeah, the downgrade. Um, oh, it's not a downgrade. It's an upgrade. Come on. I, I'm still I'm, – that's what I'm telling myself, too. Uh, no, the, uh, he graduated into the handler role. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, uh, the 60 goal seasons were awesome, man. I mean, yeah, I mean you know, um, I was – I've always been the type of player that prefers to be an athletic player, you know, like um, throws are cool. I throw at a high percentage. I am proud of that. And I work on my 96% throws a lot. 96% completion percentage, by the way, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, you're good. But like, I just, you know, I like dunking on people, man. And when I was 26, <laughs> 27, 28, you know, like I had the legs in me, we had the system. Honestly, Dylan Tennell is, I've had the I've had the real luxury of playing on the the Rhode Island team. I played with uh, Muffin Malachek, um, who plays for Dallas, but I, you know is is a legend and has just an absolute bomb. And I didn't really think I'd get to play with anybody like that again. And then I got to play with Dylan Snell. Um, man, talk about bombs! You know, like he could will. It was something else to be able to start my deep cuts from forty yards away, um, and still be running on to the disc. And so. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, I grew a lot as a person, grew a lot as a teammate. Um, you know, I, I got to feel the perks of some of the success. I made it onto Sports Center, which, like, you know, for any athlete that grew up in the 90s and early 2000s, like, I've, I mean, that's, you know, there's playing pro, there's getting a D1 scholarship, and then for all the rest of us, it's, like, hoping to make it on Sports Center. So, yeah, that was an awesome experience, and, like, yeah, it's it's honestly been life changing as far as I do a lot of work for the uh, the hustle. It prompted me to move to Atlanta, um, where I got my master's in sport administration from Georgia State, um, which I now get to use in my work with the AUDL and you know the work I do for the hustle. Um, get to do a lot of youth outreach with the hustle. So like, yeah, it was really cool and it was really fun on the field. Obviously, the AUDL field is just ridiculous for offensive players <laughs> <It's> cheating <laughs> so 
you know, with Dylan throwing to me and just having all that space. And I was in a good place where like most people taller than me can't really stay with me. And most people my size or under, um, you know, I can beat in the air. So yeah, man, it's been, it's been a hell of a ride. I got to make a bunch of highlights, score a bunch of goals, like do what I always dreamed about in college, which was like play pro ultimate and be good at it. So um, yeah, it's been a real blessing and I'm, I'm happy to still be at it. And our system has changed over the years. You know, we don't have Dylan, we don't have the same O-line that just hucks it every time and scores a bunch of goals, but um, it's been a super fun process and, you know, just honestly like uh, one of the best experiences of my life for sure. I feel like you're talking like you're past being a phenomenal player, but you, know, you said you're on Sports Center. That was that, that wasn't like five years ago. That was last season. You had like one of the most athletic plays of last season with that uh, Callahan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, don't get me wrong, man. I'm coming for y'all. Like Philly's gonna feel it <laughs> when the season comes. But uh, you know, I, I I know I'm I'm very well. I would say in tune with my body from just years and years of a bunch of different sports. And yeah, I think I'm as quick as I've probably ever been in my acceleration in that like 10 to 30 yard space is very fast, but, um, you know, I, I feel the layouts a little more and I feel like I, I've lost like an inch or two on just dunking on people. But, um, no, as, as a player, I've always tried to improve and I always maybe lie to myself and tell myself that I'm the best I've ever been. And, you know, I still believe that. So, yeah, still still at it, and I I plan to be until I, you know, until something comes up that I can't. Hey, what's it like to play for Miranda Knowles? Yeah, uh, I get that question a lot, and the answer's all the same. It's great. Um, I think Miranda's strength as a coach is just creating buy-in and creating, like, a culture, a good culture, and um, honestly, at the end of the day, that's, that's so much more important, uh, even at this level. Um, you know, people are playing pro, but a big part of it and a big part of buy-in is like, you have to like the people that you're playing with. You have to feel like you're getting better at practices. You have to feel like your leadership, um, you know, cares about you and like wants to see the best for you. And, uh, she's great at that. And so, you know, I think the hustle management has often gone back and forth about like, Hey, are we going to do this thing where we you know, try and bring in some out-of-town players and or more out-of-town players and, you know, just kind of try and buy our way to a championship. Um, but I think the decision has been to, uh, you know, work within the community and try and develop some of our younger players. Um, and I think it's just a good, it's a good team and a fun team to be a part of. And that doesn't happen without her. Um, I always tell the people at the tryouts, like, you know, bust your butt to make it on the team because like the way Miranda runs things. And I think it's great is like, and especially the way the AUDL works is like, you're going to get a shot to get on the field some point throughout a 14 or 12 game season, you know, it's going to be a busy weekend. Somebody's going to get injured. There's a wedding, there's something. Um, and she's really good about giving people an opportunity uh, to shine. So yeah, it's been really great. Um, I didn't know really much about her before she took over. Like I, I knew she's, you know, I've seen some of the footage. I know she's amazing. She's the most well-decorated you know, person on our, on our team. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it's been great to work with her within leadership and play for her. And, um, I want to say, yeah, the hustle were my first ultimate coaches. I guess we had a coach on Rhode Island, but honestly, I don't really remember. It was, it was all pretty vague at <laughs> that point. It was clearly impactful. They were clearly <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Impactful. Exactly. It was, uh, if we did, it clearly had a big effect, but no, it's been great. I think she's uh, done a great job here and, you know, I hope uh, her and the hustle continue to work together and keep signing those contracts. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's talk about your youth outreach in the AUDL. What's your favorite part of that? Um, Getting to do the live events, uh, you know, getting to do the all-star weekend clinics uh, this past year was really fun. Um, you know, Madison's a great city to host some of that stuff. And, um, yeah, a lot of kids came out and the all-stars were very generous with their time. Uh, it was also nice because a lot of the all-stars tend to be people who, um, are pretty involved in their teams otherwise, and probably do a lot of outreach anyway. And so, you know, like Goose Helton was there, like Goose is great with kids, you know, he owns cut camps or whatever, you know? So, um, to be able to just get a group of kids together and, you know, let them work with some of the best players in the world uh, who are great at working with kids. Um, that stuff is really fun. That stuff is really fun. So that's, uh, I would say the live events that we get to do are my favorite part. Um, you know, what most of my work for the AUDL in the youth space actually is, is mostly administrative work and kind of information gathering and distribution. Um, which is not quite as fun, uh, but, you know, equally as important. But, yeah, I, lo I love working with middle and high school kids just discovering the game. You also have uh, done a lot of community work as, as far as helping to start the AUDL Inclusion Initiative. Do you want to just uh, talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I, I can't take credit for starting it. Um, that I, was... I, said, I said help start it. I didn't, I didn't... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Steve and Chris, I want to say Christina Chung, Steve Hall, and I want to say Ty Simpson from the breeze, I guess had been talking early in 2019 about getting something together. Uh, and, and they kind of got it. Christina Chung is the, uh, own one of the owners of the Philadelphia Phoenix mine. You just wanted to put that out there. There's just, if, if I didn't say that she would come down on me with Chung fury and I don't want any part of that. So. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, that's fair, but actually, no, I know I've I've gotten to know her pretty well over the last little bit, and that's oh, been no, a great experience great. as well. Yeah, um, she's great. She's great. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, we've had some great conversations about kind of race and cultural inclusion, but uh, yeah, anyway, I guess they had it going for a little while, uh, or they had that idea going, and they got it set up with management, and then in December of 2019. Um, you know, Steve reached out and was kind of like, hey, do you want to get in? Do you want to do some of this stuff? Or do you want to be on the player side um, involved with it? And uh, yeah, I was absolutely into that. I had recently done uh, some work with the Color of Ultimate. Um, really enjoyed that experience. I uh, found it to be surprisingly impactful. In college, I had taken some some classes. It was, called, it was like Colby Conversations on Race. Um, for my psych degree. And so I had some interest stemming from back then. So it just felt like a natural move to be involved with the committee. Um, and yeah, it's been a, a great initiative and I'm, uh, we've got some, some hardworking and thoughtful people on there and it's, it's been great so far. Uh, hectic, mind you, um, pivoting uh, from a shortened season to a bubble to no season and whatnot. 
Um, but it's a good group. I'm super happy to be involved. And uh, yeah, it just it fit with a lot of what I had um, sort of been interested in and been thinking about for a while. How did the uh, George Floyd murder um, impact exactly how much you were doing with the uh, inclusion initiative and um, how how much have you ramped it up since then? Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is it's just been a it's been a ramp up. Um, you know, I want to applaud the ADL. One thing I think a lot of people don't know or is like, you know, this committee was formed before the George Floyd thing. So it wasn't necessarily just a response to that. Um, but I think, you know, obviously seeing the protests from around the country that, you know, impacted, I think, a lot of people on the committee personally. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it just it really kind of lit a fire under our butt to get better organized, to, um, you know, start. I think we've probably all been on a committees, you know, where the deadlines are a little further out and there's not that sense of, uh, you know, pressure to be working. And there's not like that. Um, I don't know what the word would be, but urgency, urgency. Yes, that is exactly the word urgency. And, um, yeah, it just instilled a, a sense of urgency and, um, you know, since then, yeah, we had a couple pretty long, pretty emotional meetings. We got a lot of stuff done and, you know, we've got our eye on some projects that I think will be uh, pretty impactful down the line. So, yeah, I think one of the things we struggled with too is that a lot of our plans are like fairly long-term or in the sense that they're not the kind of things that happen overnight. Um, but it just motivated us to work a little bit harder and to do some things that did happen overnight. Um, you know, at least as far as our, the AUDL contribution to that anti-racist panel, uh, they did a lot of work on their own. I'm not trying to detract from that. Um, but I was proud of the AII group for, you know, trying to do things uh, in immediate response, but then also keeping a level head and keeping our eyes on some of the stuff that's further down the road. How, how do you think the AUDL's response to everything has been? Uh, I, yeah, I, I think you know, there's always there's always more we could be doing. Um, overall, though, I've honestly been pretty pleased with the AUDL response uh, to a lot of these kind of racial inequity issues. I think it's the guys at the top who are sort of three or you know a group of wealthy white men are very aware that that's what they are, and I think they have been really good about turning to the AI and being like, Hey, these are issues that like we want y'all's opinion on. We want like a real, yeah, your opinion really matters and your direction really matters. Like it's not just something that they're making all the decisions about it and then steering the committee in that way. And so, um, yeah, honestly, I, th I think the response has been pretty good. And, you know, I'm going to be honest, it's been a lot better than the response from some other Frisbee organizations where, uh, you know, I know the AUDL gets beat up all the time on Twitter, but, uh, you know, we're putting stuff out to get beat up about. And I think that's commendable on their part. You know, I think uh, helping out and using the platform for the anti-racist panel and raising that money was a good first step. You know, on the panel, on the initiative, we talk a lot about how, giving money is the easy part um, and, the, and it's hard, it's your money, but it's just one click. And so, 
yeah, I think we're looking at some other ways. The media side of it, I think, is important. We are still doing a fundraising side of things and trying to give money to these causes, which I think is important. Um, so, yeah, overall, to be honest, I, I've been pleased. But, of course, you know, we could do more. I was really looking forward to the bubble um, for some of the diversity reasons that I think we, we could have had some decent programming and used it as an opportunity for growth. Um, but with that not happening, you know, we just kind of have to pivot and, and look forward. And uh, so far, I've been very pleased working with AUDL administration on a lot of these issues. So you mentioned the, the color of ultimate and just myriad of things that, that happen under that um, sort of institution. And one of the cool things, I think, is that it gives a chance for people to watch ultimate being played um, by people that are exclusively not white, but in a way that, like, all these people are yourself included the best in the sport like you guys are um like you're one of the best players in the world and do you ever feel on like a typical ultimate field that you are carrying an additional burden of like increasing visibility for people that look um that just aren't white or are you just like every time you're out on the ultimate field i'm going to kick everyone's butt and that's all that you're thinking about yeah, I I don't give the racial stuff much thought when I'm playing, honestly. Um I you know, when I when I look back on my own ultimate career, like I I don't remember seeing kind of other Asian American people or highlight I mean highlights themselves were much rarer, you know, back then there there weren't as as much footage. I don't remember seeing other Asians out there there could have been, but you know, to be honest, I just I've never really thought about it. Like I've always just tried to play like, you know, like whatever, I, whoever it is, I don't care like where you're from, how good you're supposed to be, how good you're not supposed to be, what color you are, like whatever, like I'm just trying to put you in the dirt. And that's kind of been my mentality. And I think that's, that's how you are successful in the AUDL. Cause there's a lot of weird things that happen. <laughs> you know, there's like a lot of weird, yeah, whatever your, your team is an hour late to the game because the bus broke down or you got to play in a new venue or whatever. So yeah, on the field, I, I think that's one of the reasons I like playing so much is because it's an escape. It's an escape from everything else. Like, I just get to go out there and run as hard as I can and think about nothing else for, you know, two and a half hours. You also played on the uh, Venezuelan team with uh, Rowan McDonald. Can you talk about that experience? That was great. I, I love those dudes. The Wadal boys, uh, I hope some of them hear this. I don't know if they will, but... Uh, We'll, we'll yes. have to tag them on Twitter when we announce the uh, – what, what was the name again? Warao, W-A-R-A-O. That's the name of the club. Um, right. Yeah, so that came about um, – so I I spent years two to eight or two to seven and a half or so of my life in Venezuela. Um, my parents were missionaries at the time. So that was part of my background, but, you know – uh, honestly, haven't been back. It's not the most welcoming for Americans right now. Uh, hasn't been for a while. Um, but a buddy of mine, uh, his name's Jaime Perez. He plays uh, for the Tampa Bay Cannons and used to play for the Hustle. He had played for Team Columbia uh, previously. And he was like, hey, do you want to like maybe play with the Venezuelan team? Like, Let's just shoot them, shoot them an email and see what happens. And yeah, we shot him an email and because it was a club tournament, um, you know, we were allowed to play and I, you know, I was like, well, you we have some background there. I, I'd love to reconnect, um, 
you know, I've been looking for ways to kind of reconnect with my past a little bit. Uh, and Ultimate is a great opportunity to do that. So I took a chance. Honestly, I drove 14 hours or something like that, 14 hours up to Cincinnati on my own. Um, I just had such a great time. You know, uh, playing with Rowan is uh, a pleasure. He's obviously very, very good. Um, we have very good chemistry. We're both basketball guys. Um, yeah, that was just like a ton of fun. And uh, the Wada, the Wada team themselves are like, oh, it's such great Latin American ultimate, man. Like the intensity is just so high. Their love of defense is just so high. Um, there's, I think it was refreshing to take a break from like elite ultimate, so to speak, um, to play with dudes who just love the game and who just are in a tough situation. You know, a lot of them, some of them, half our team like couldn't get to the tournament late because their visas got canceled from Venezuela. Um, you know, a lot of them have had to immigrate and are in a, a, a less fortunate situation than they would have been if they'd be allowed, you know, are allowed to be in their country. So um yeah it was a really moving experience to kind of get to reconnect with my past they don't speak a ton of english and my spanish is kind of you know it's all right it's uh mental. <laughs> so um that was a fun experience to kind of reconnect with my past and get to play with them on and off the field and i felt like i got a lot of love for them and i think they appreciate what i can do for them on the field and how i play which is very much in a kind of intense latin american kind of way and so it's it's been a great relationship and I hope uh, I'll probably run it back for sure. Another tournament or two with those guys. Cause it's a, uh, it's a good tour of guys and it, it touches on stuff that's kind of beyond ultimate and, and more important, more important than ultimate. And have you incorporated that, any of that Latin American attitude into your game? Um, I mean, I think I just always like, I think the thing that sticks out to me about that, like, is that they just go hard all the time. And like, that's something that I've always tried to, I try and be like a Westbrook, you know, like I just love trying to dunk on people and just going hard. Um, whenever I get the chance, I, and like, that was the first crew of dudes that like the whole team was like that, you know, like most of the teams I've played for, there's a few guys like that, like for sure. You know, there's also a lot of dudes who like, you know, who like throwing the disc, who like kind of taking things a little bit easier, but, um, yeah, man, those those dudes get after it, and they uh, it's funny to me because they value the layout D above all else. Because um, their offense is, like, not always great. It is not very, like, uh, there's no system to it, really. They're basically, when we play with them, they're just like, oh, we'll let the Americans handle offense. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the Latin Americans will, like, die on this shield of defense. And so... Um, yeah, that is something I try and, you know, I, I was refreshed after I played with them to like really kind of get back to the roots of, uh, you know, just playing hard and blowing people up and like loving being outside. And so I, I, that's part a big reason why I play with them is like to, to be reminded of that and to, uh, bring that intensity back up at the AUDL level. That's a great story. I, I love the, uh, the, the Latin America the way they play uh, defense, they are absolutely tenacious. Yeah, it's just how they roll, man. It's in the blood. It's in the sangre, you know? Like, they just, uh, they feel it, and it's, it's great to watch. Uh, it is great to watch. All right, uh, so uh, I, but before I turn it over to Shaggy, or maybe I should wait till afterwards, but I'll let Shaggy decide. 
Um, I played for the Philadelphia Rage, right? Um, that was our club team that went the Nationals a bunch of times up here. And uh, Chain Lightning did us a uh, a solid. And so I've always loved Chain Lightning for what they did for us. Shag, should I tell the story at the end of the podcast or should I tell it now? Well, you have to tell it now. It's going to seem really weird if you did all that lead up and then it's at the end of the podcast. <laughs> all right. You know, that, that's, that's fair. Okay. So, so it's, it's 1995, right? And I'm sure that's right around when you were born, Matt. Right. <laughs> um, um, but the, I'm playing for the Philly Rage and we're playing in the uh, Mid-Atlantic Regional Final against the Port City Slickers from essentially Wilmington, North Carolina. <laughs> and long story short, the uh, Wilmington team cheats us out of a bit at Nationals and uh, we don't get to go. But our women's team, the Philly Peppers, does go to Nationals down in Birmingham, Alabama that year. Oh. And, and uh, so Chain Lightning, after hearing what happened at Mid-Atlantic uh, Regional Finals, asked the Philly Peppers to bring our jerseys down. So when they played the Port City Slickers, they could wear our Philadelphia Rage jerseys against them at <laughs> Nationals. And it was absolutely amazing that we sent all of our jerseys down to Chain to wear against the Slickers at Nationals. And uh, I just always appreciated Chain Lightning's love for the spirit of the game. And I just appreciated that. And I hope as a Chain player, you appreciate being a part of that history. Absolutely. That that always warms my heart uh, to hear because there's, uh, there's a lot of old Chain guys around, uh, still kind of bouncing around, a lot of legends going around. You know, do down. Is Stu Down still around? Oh yeah, Stu coached the hustle for a year. Oh, Maybe two. He was amazing. like one of the assistant coaches. Yeah, man, that, guy, that Stu, guy's awesome. Stu's been one of the one of the uh, at, like one of the most known chain players around the country. He's he's the Trey Captain back of Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. You think he just got in the Hall of Fame, right? A couple, oh, I think like he did. Year yes. two ago. Yeah, no, he deserved it. He deserved it, no question about it, and. uh I think he was one of the orchestrators of that, and uh, hopefully he listens to this. And uh, and and uh, from one old head to another, I doff my cap to Mr. Downs. He he was an absolute amazing player and an even more amazing person, no question about it. So yeah, I'll make sure I'll make sure he at least knows about it. I mean, you know, it can't be an email or nothing like that. But I could I could maybe maybe zap up to text by now. He uh he is a coach for one of the local high school teams. Sure. Uh, and I'm I'm the commissioner of the league for the high school league, and so uh, yeah, him and I have a good back and forth from uh, both him coaching me and now uh, me wielding authoritative power over him in, nice. uh, in the <laughs> high school league. Well, tell him I said hello if you don't mind. I mean, from a per a personal hello, you know what I mean, like. Uh, I uh he he was one of my favorite players to play uh play against and talk with after a game. I mean, he was just an absolute uh uh joy and uh I'm glad that he's still involved in Ultimate and still impacting uh people in Atlanta to this day. He's he's just a great guy. Yeah, agreed on all fronts and I'll I'll definitely uh let him know the next time uh the next time I see him. All right.
All right, Sag, I, I, there, there, I, I don't think there's possibly more I could have. What do you got here for uh, Mr. Smith? Yeah, well, first of all, we're in trouble, and I might have to break this into two different episodes because I filled up a whole page of uh, things I wanted to talk about, and you have barely touched on them. So. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, that's awesome of me. I suck. Um, <laughs> but first of all, I, I, I want to humble brag a little bit because I've been getting a lot of crazy compliments this week. Uh, the the martial arts instructor at the camp told me she asked if I practiced Shaolin. She said I had a lot of Shaolin. I don't. I just um, play frisbee. That's where all the jumping and the balance came from. But also, Steve, you said it must be really hard for guys like you, Matt, and Sean Mott, and Shaggy. For me to be in that sentence, I think, was uh, <laughs> pretty wild. Well, thanks. Tag, I mean, like, you love Ultimate just as much as those guys do. Just because you're not as good as that, at it as they are doesn't mean you don't love it as much. Yeah. I mean, I've never scored 60 <laughs> goals in the ADL, but I do like uh, the sport, so. <laughs> I grouped you in, Tag. I grouped you in. Yeah. Speaking of being grouped into things that are, I think, way above my pay grade, in the brief time, Matt, before the season was curtailed, but after we knew about um, the the conference realignment, so like in February, I took it upon myself to watch all the Atlanta Hustle games. Because I was like, we played DC a lot. We know them. Someone who's smarter than me will watch Rally. I, I feel – I felt a lot of kinship with the Hustle from last season. Um, so I'll, I'll watch these games. And, and my specific thing was I'm going to figure out how to shut down uh, you, how to shut down Matt Smith. I'm going to figure that out. That'll be my big, like, <laughs> calling card. Um, and I watched every game, and I did not. I failed. I couldn't figure it out. So I was wondering if you could do the thing that I couldn't do and figure out how to stop you, because I failed. <laughs> Man, I'm going to – I'll put it out there, and we'll see We'll see if anybody takes me up on it. Uh, get a really athletic 6'1 to 6'2 dude and just have them force me out. And uh, I'm probably going to still, like, there's a good chance I might get, like, a nice little rip on them. But that's, like, one of, as everybody knows in defense, like, good defense means getting ripped on eight times out of ten. And two times out of ten, maybe you get that D. Um, and so if I were me, that's what I would do. Like, I, I usually struggle with players that are kind of in that mid-length, honestly. Like, if you give me someone really tall – they're just not going to have the foot speed and the like change of direction. Like I'm just too small. <laughs> um, and if you get someone really small, that's like quicker than me, uh, the chances of them, I mean, there's some real feisty guys, but you know, I, I played a lot of basketball. I played a lot of volleyball. Like, I don't know. I feel pretty good uh, boxing out and like kind of going deep. And so um, the guys on the hustle that have the most success guarding me at practice, and some of them have a lot of success guarding me at practice, are just these like six one, lanky, athletic guys, and then they just they commit to making me go deep, and then they just don't get bothered if I if I get one or two on them. Um, yeah, those are my least favorite guys. Are are a little bit taller, and then have have a lot of speed and athleticism. Well. I'm glad you said that because you basically just described the whole Philadelphia team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't be <laughs> you can't be too big though, because so we played Indy last year, uh, which was a lot of fun, and I you know I think there were a lot of things. I'm not saying it was this one thing, but our O line was 
probably just on average like 20 pounds lighter. <laughs> we were just and we were playing indoors and just like they kind of had some of those guys, but they were like a little too big. And so we just we just had a bunch of tiny Asians running around scoring goals. And um, I think that's often difficult to stop. But if you have like, yeah, I don't know. We'll see on we'll see on the Phoenix. I don't I don't know much about your D line other than I've seen some James Pollard highlights. Um, and I yeah, I mean I know I'm not gonna try and out jump him, but uh, I, got, I got two <laughs> words for you, Matt. Eric Nardelli. All right, I will. Uh, I'll definitely keep an eye out. I'm, he's yeah, number, I'm curious. He's number ninety. He's number ninety-nine. Takes care of all of our problems as far as the other team. I'm not even the problem anymore, man. He's, he's, I don't even get the best matchup. It's gonna be. Uh, he's someone, you all are gonna have to find someone for uh, Eli Jaime. <laughs> he's our goal scoring. Uh, he's our goal scoring dude these days. I. Uh, I mean, as was pointed out by New York time and time again last year, uh, we're not too big. <laughs> That's not our, uh, <laughs> I don't know, so. Yeah, no, I think I was, like, super looking forward to our game, man. I mean, I, I know enough about the team. Like, I don't know a ton, a ton, but I know enough that I feel like it would have been a good a good uh, back and forth. Uh, same thing with Pitt, I feel like. And, um, yeah, I think, I think y'all probably would have been a little surprised by Tampa. I think most players would be. Um, like that hadn't played them before. Aha, Shag! Aha! Shaggy is really giving me Shaggy is giving me a bunch of crap about being on the Tampa bandwagon, and I thought they were good, and I'm so glad to hear you support that theory. Thank you. Yeah, like, I mean, they don't have a lot of experience. And so, you know, I wouldn't, I don't think they're like necessarily like, they wouldn't have been my playoff pick necessarily. But they're Tampa, mean. they're Tampa's hot. It's also hot. Like, if you go down there and it's 90 some degrees, they run a really good system around Roney, who's an amazing player. And like, it's hard to beat a team that knows what it is. You know, they try really hard on defense and then on offense, the guys, who are supposed to take the shots, take the shots, and the guys who aren't just get out of the way and let them do it. And, like, yeah, they're young, they're athletic, they're hungry. So, yeah, I don't I don't necessarily see them going on the road and getting a bunch of wins, but I also see some teams probably underestimating going down there um, and being surprised. But speaking of uh, Tampa and of Pittsburgh and Atlanta, I, I feel like you are you're one of the best – ultimate players like I, I watched this year. There's been no ultimate, but still, like, you you were phenomenal. And um, I, I feel like you're less well-known than you should be, uh, maybe because you play in Atlanta. Do you feel that way, too, or do you think, like, you kind of like it? You come from behind and get people. Uh, I, I've been through all stages of it. Um, as far as, like, you know, I – when I think about ultimate, like some of the dudes I play, I like I, I've been picked last on the playground a lot. You know what I mean? Like people don't really know, and so for a long time it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, just to surprise people, really, just to like you know, like dunk on people. Like I said, basically an ultimate, um, and I really thrived on that. Like you know, showing up to a basketball court where nobody knows me, um, getting looked over, getting picked last because I'm a small Asian dude and then just, you know, giving it to him. And so that was fun for a really long time. Um, 
but it it honestly does get a little tiring <laughs> having to uh sort of prove yourself everywhere you go and you know, I won't dive too deep into it, but I do think there's a little bit of a white ceiling in Ultimate, um, especially in the elite scene where, yeah, I don't know, if I were a 5'10", pretty looking white guy, you know, maybe I'm a little more famous than I am. But um, I I love my game. I love being who I am. Um, just a small, feisty dude that's going to give it to you. And I honestly, I, I got more, I got further in ultimate and uh, more famous in ultimate than I ever thought I'd be. And I, I don't want to be the type of person that's like, oh man, I, you know, I should be getting more or like, I, I deserve more or whatever, because, you know, it took a lot of hard work to get here, but it also took a lot of luck. It took a lot of, a lot of things falling into place and working out. And so, uh, in my better moments, yeah, I, I, I'm just happy to be where I am to be on shows like this. This is really validating, you know, like it's a lot of fun to come do these things and uh, it's starting to come a little more to fruition. Like more people know who I am now than I did before, which is cool. And I've got to have some cool interactions with kids and, you know, even some older players uh, that I didn't know before or that, um, you know, just fans, which I never thought I'd have. That's a crazy concept to even have fans in ultimate. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I always want more. I'm an ambitious dude. <laughs> like, that's what got me to where I am. It's like, I always want bigger, harder, better people to play. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm just, I'm super grateful to uh, to be where I am and to get the opportunity to just, like, play ultimate for my job, basically. Yeah, so you, uh, you're talking about those ambitions. Um <laughs> We had a, a buddy of ours from college who came um, this week to to hang out in Philadelphia, which is cool. I haven't seen him in a while. And Mike missed um, our tee-off time, Mike Arcata, at the uh, disc golf course because <laughs> he was working out. He was running stairs at the art museum. And I'm going to – on Saturday, you know, I'm going to go work out with him and then we'll play disc golf. And I'm going to ask him the same thing I'm going to ask you right now, which is, like, what are you – working out for is it inertia or are you just going to come in next season and be superheroes what's the plan here um i just like being in shape to be honest um i will probably do some other stuff i think i'm probably going to get away from ultimate training specifically because it doesn't look like i'll be playing competitive ultimate for at least a year but um, you know, there's some other stuff I'd like to do and like maybe do some rock climbing, like maybe get a little more into tennis. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just like being an active person. So I will probably be an active person. I struggle with just like workouts, you know, so like we'll see how many just track routines I do over the next little bit. But um, yeah, I just like to be active and to play and to, that's the lifestyle I live. That's the lifestyle my wife lives. She's probably in better shape than me. So <laughs> Yeah, that's just kind of what I'm going to do, and I'm looking forward to coming back next year. Like I said, I mean, this year off has been good for my body, and uh, yeah, I see no reason why I can't come back as, as good as I've ever been. So yeah, just keeping my eyes on the on the prize long term. Also, I just feel worse. Like, I, you know, COVID's already keeping me cramped up and stressing me out. Like, I can't, I can't not go for a run or not, you know, do something to get that energy out. I think Steve and I can attest that you can, in fact, not go for a run. But I, I think... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, I haven't, I haven't ran in years, <laughs> and I recently played ultimate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, recently, not pre-COVID. Man, you talked about how part of your job uh, doing youth outreach for the AUDL, a big chunk of it was like, uh, I mean, you didn't say data analysis, but it sounded like data analysis and, and kind of like figuring out um, what to do from like a more analytics perspective. Is that fair? Um. Yeah, I I think analytics is probably being a little generous in uh, the level that I'm looking at it. But so I think one of the the interesting distinctions that I, I think a lot of people don't think about from looking at the league is like there's the league and then there is all the individual teams. Um, and there's only kind of so much. I'm the only person like working on youth from the league perspective. But then there's uh, you know people. Um, on the various teams that are doing things. And so uh, basically my role now um, is to provide guidance for any of the teams because there's a wide variation in terms of what teams are doing in terms of youth outreach. Some of them are very far advanced. They have uh, year-round clinics. They have summer camps that are always full. You know, They have uh, outreach programs that they get tickets to schools. They do lots of stuff like that. And then you know, other teams just aren't there yet. Like they're, they don't have the expertise. They don't have the extra, you know, personnel to kind of do some of that stuff. So, you know, we serve as a reference point for those teams. Uh, and then the part now that I'm working on, which got all messed up with Corona, but is uh, just getting detailed information to what each team is actually doing and not doing uh, in a centralized location so that the league can then, uh, better analyze like you know what's successful what isn't being successful like which teams are doing well in this category um, just all the information that comes from just knowing what we're actually doing and I think one of the things that always kind of like gets me a little bit is you know I, I don't think anybody in the ultimate community views the AUDL as a youth um, as a youth organization and and they shouldn't in the sense that like you know, the, the USAU membership and what they do with youth is, is far beyond what we are doing. But collectively, the ADL teams are reaching thousands of kids every year. We just don't do a great job of, like, marketing that as a league and making that, um, you know, being like having a good PR team about that. Um, but the league and individual teams really are, like, bringing new kids to the sport um, you know, they are teaching a lot of kids how to play ultimate. There's a lot of good things that are happening around the league. And I think, yeah, a big part of my job isn't even, it's getting more of that to happen, but it's really just finding out and uh, centralizing that information so that then we can use that information more effectively. Has your um, work with the AII changed the way that you are, approaching um, how you think teams should target their communities? Target seems like a bad word to use here, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's a tough situation, right? Because, like, the reality is that, at, especially at the youth scene, Ultimate is played by predominantly middle and upper class kids who are mostly white at private schools generally. Uh, that's obviously not the case everywhere, um, but that's generally what it is. and you know, some of these teams, they don't really have the capacity, like, <laughs> like that work engaging in an audience with an audience that is perhaps hostile to Frisbee is a lot more work than engaging with 
you know, obviously people who are more friendly towards it. And so for teams that are just starting out, it's difficult to tell them to like, hey, you got to like really focus and engage with these communities who have no idea what Ultimate is, probably don't care and might be a little antagonistic towards it versus, you know, like if they just say, hey, come to this camp that we put on, it, it's only going to serve a, cer a certain demographic and that's the kids who are already interested in it. And so I think what it is on my end and, and what I'm trying to promote is that, you know, the realities of business mean that you have to tap the kids that are already playing and that have the money to do it. Like that is something that needs to happen, but it's, you can't ever forget that a big part of what you should be doing is um, working to spread the game. And I think that's sort of the best I can do with teams. Like at the end of the day, you know, they, they have autonomy in what they're going to do, but, you know, I always want to encourage them to keep that diversity component in mind and to, you know, just remember that, not to get too far down one hole of just trying to cash cow on uh, the kids who can currently afford it. Yeah, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, kind of switching lanes here, but how did you go from Hawaii to Venezuela to Maine and Colby? Yeah, right. Uh, I'm still figuring it out. Uh, so, yeah, I went from Venezuela to Hawaii um, because my mom is from Hawaii and the, the missionary work was done. And so... Um, yeah, we, we went back to Hawaii. Um, and then, you know, I just kind of, I have two older brothers who are eight and 12 years older than me and they, they went away to college. So that's just what I assumed I was supposed to do. Uh, I went to a very preppy high school or academic focused high school. And so, you know, our college counseling office actually knew about Colby and you know, our junior year, they were basically like, pick 40 colleges or like, here are like 40 colleges to research over the summer, come back and like apply to eight of them. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I, just, I knew I wanted small liberal arts. I applied to a few schools that fit the bill. Um, yeah, eventually Colby was just kind of the one that I wanted. I was, I had island fever. Like I wanted to get off the rock. Colby seemed like a good school. It seemed like an adventure far away. And so, yeah, I just pulled the trigger and headed out there. I never saw the campus before going. Um, yeah, I just went out there for the for the adventure of it. <laughs> yeah, as, as somebody who uh, spent a big chunk of my winters in Maine, I can't imagine having island fever, <laughs> but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, I feel pretty dumb now. <laughs> like, looking back, I'm like, man. And so, like, I always felt like people in Hawaii, you know, they're always like, oh, man, living in Hawaii is the best. And I was like, yeah, but you don't know that. Like, you just say that, but you don't know that. And then now I'm like, man, they were right. And they didn't even know that. They, but they, I guess they must have because they were right. It was pretty nice. You know? <laughs> what was your uh, Hussein Carnegie welcome to the AUDL moment? Oh, yeah. So he just, um, so I was fortunate enough to play in the first AUDL game ever um down in maybe it was Rhode Island I forget if it was a home it might have been in Connecticut to be honest I don't even remember but it was um we played the constitution uh we had this crazy thing happen where like <laughs> on the way down one of our teammates had gotten in a car accident and was like on the side of the road and like our car just found them and like we didn't know like it wasn't a cell phone thing like we just saw them on the side of the road and we picked them up and we go down to the game you know, we show up like five minutes before the game, like, you know, 
tie the cleats on, get ready, hit the field. And uh, I want to say someone threw it deep, and uh, we were on offense. Somebody threw it deep. I was running. It wasn't to me. It was to one of my teammates who was, I don't know, maybe 20 feet in front of me. So I just had this, like, really great view. <laughs> and, uh, man, I mean, <laughs> Hussein Carnegie, you know, he does what he, he did what he does. And he, uh, over the shoulder, like, he must have been seven feet in the air, like, <laughs> horizontally this is like young stupid athlete Hussein you know what I mean like when everybody's like way younger and way dumber and it's just like oh let's do this and he uh yeah I mean that bid was something else man I just have this like image burned in my mind of like my buddy just getting deed because there's some guy laying out like legitimately like overhead basically um and yeah I mean I I don't like you know I don't get shook on the field too often, but I remember thinking of it like, man, I hope they don't throw it to me like that. <laughs> you know, cause like, that was some real, like, I don't got that kind of, I, you know, I'm athletic. I don't got that. So, uh, you know, that, that was just the welcome to the AUDL where I was like, man, maybe this pro thing is for real. <laughs> like, <laughs> so you've, uh, you've achieved a, a dream of mine. I've been getting and watching Hussein Carnegie in person just to mile someone, but, uh, I've always wanted to be a sports commissioner. Um, so I guess now the only no, you thing don't. really open to me is, no, I don't. Why not? Why, what's wrong with it? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I mean, there's a lot of good to it, and it needs to be done, which is why I do it. But um, I I mean, you probably you, – it sounds like you work with kids, right? Um, and if you yeah. work with them in a sports context, like, you know how those parents get. And, uh, <laughs> like, the – the level of seriousness and like concern that some people have and, and it's totally justified, you know, this is their league, it's competitive and I want to, I want to be straightforward and helpful, but there are some very silly disputes that pop up and, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I work at a preschool uh, during the year. So I do have parents come to me and they'd be like, why is my kid not as good at basketball as this other kid? And, and I can tell them like, your kid's three. It's okay. Three-year-olds, they don't have to be good at, at basketball. <laughs> they just figured out how to walk. Like, you can give them time. Uh, that's, yeah, that's no. The, yeah, it's it's those same parents, you know, but, like, 15 years later, like, why isn't my kid better at this? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, well, then, if you don't think it's, it's as fun as uh, as I always thought it would be, but. I, don't know. I think it might be good. fun at a, at like, I feel like Steve Hall probably has, like, I'm sure it's, it's very stressful, but I bet that that's actually probably really fun or, you know, maybe at a higher level. Uh, and it's fun when I, I form a lot of good relationships, but I think sometimes I'm just, I'm really just like the high school, like the youth level. Some of the youth sports stuff is a little out of control in terms of like what the messaging is and uh, how important parents value some of the stuff that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Parents are, are, Definitely the hardest part about working with kids is the parents. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for, me, for sure. It's, it's always the parents, right? Especially at that age, right? I mean, you can't really – I'm sure, like, you can't – you know what you're getting with a kid that at that age. But, yeah, the parents can be tough. Yeah. So uh, kind of in relation to this, like, during the year I work with preschoolers, and while I'm obviously league more coordinated than a three-year-old, uh, it doesn't give me any pride. Um, but – during the during the summer, I, I work training the CITs 
um, at the summer camp. And so I'm playing with teenagers and for like kids 11 to 14. Uh, and most of the time, my goal when we play sports is to make sure that they want to continue to do what they're doing. But every once in a while, something will happen, and I'll be like, all right, I'm going to score here. Like, I am, I can score it, and I'm going to. Uh, it's, those are my favorite times. Do you ever have those moments when you're working with kids where you're just like, I'm going to take over this point. There's nothing you can do. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's a fine line. Like, the kids want to see that, right? Like, when they hear that you're, like, a pro Frisbee player, like, some part of them wants to know what that means, right? And – like, for me, dude, I work with kids now. Like, some of them can just, like, chuck it further than I can, you know? Like, like some of these kids in high school now that have been playing for, you know, there's a kid at the hustle camp. I mean, I kid you not, he's got a 90-yard flick. Like, and so, you know, it, it is kind of funny being a pro, and then I'm, you know, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I can't throw it that far, you know? And so, uh, yeah, for sure. I, I definitely I, – I think you're doing the right thing where, you know, nine out of 10 times, you're really just like facilitating a game or honestly, my throws have gotten way better from throwing to a bunch of kids who are not very good receivers, honestly, (laughs) you know, like with these middle school kids who are just learning how to, how to read. And so I get a lot of practice throwing my throws. Um, But yeah, so like, I, you know, most of the time it's, it's very focused on like making sure they have a good time, like helping them develop. And that's like way more important than like whatever skill they're learning It's really that they just enjoy being outside and exercising and, and playing sports. But yeah, I definitely every now and then you got to flex on them a little bit, you know, like that's what they came for. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Plus like it's fun. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. There is, there was, I was a high school coach, like an assistant coach. And sometimes like I, I jumped in and like the, uh, the break mark drill and I won the break mark drill and they were all like surprised, you know? And I was just like, yeah, come on. I mean, it'd be pretty messed up if I didn't win this, you know, like I've been playing like two years, you know? So, um, but yeah, I, I love working with the kids and, and I feel like there's a good dynamic and, you know, I'm, I'm still fast enough to show off every now and then and, and they enjoy that. All right, well, that's that's what I have, Matt. Thank you so much, uh, Steve. You still here? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm still I'm still listening. Uh, uh, Matt, do you have any questions for us? Um, I would just be curious. I would like, what are some of your uh, favorite Northeast tournaments that aren't, uh, you know, that aren't like TCP or whatever? Uh, do you do y'all have any up there, like you know, party tournaments or big ones that you like doing up there? Oh man, uh, Ultimax. <laughs> Ultimax down in East Carolina in Greenville, North Carolina was the best ultimate tournament ever. Uh, I'm just saying that right there because um, I went to East Carolina and uh, back in our heyday and uh, we were uh, very uh, popular. But uh, Philadelphia always had Mother's Day, a Mother's Day tournament that drew the best teams. Uh, New York, New York uh, came down with Kenny Dobbins and Cribber. And uh, uh, Boston came down before they were dog, and uh, <laughs> they uh, they would they would play at this tournament, and uh, uh, the Philadelphia Rage was prevalent there. Ring of Fire would come up from Raleigh, and uh, it was a uh, it was a it was a huge uh, draw. And Mother- Philadelphia Mother's Day tournament was a huge tournament up here, and uh, yeah. And, uh, 
Um, and then the, uh, the, 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 the pad of summer league up here, the summer league is un- unlike any other. Um, the summer league here is, uh, 60 teams. And, um, I think they, it might, they might've bucked it down to 48, but, uh, and, but, uh, the, the men's spots for the league sell out like almost like Eagles season mm. tickets that go on sale. It's like, uh, it's like uh it's like a, a fire sale it's like you you buy up as, as soon as you can get in there and um it's uh it's it's something else up here but uh uh i i remember uh, i remember going down to terminus in atlanta yep um yep. and uh we we uh i i played for the east carolina irates and this was back when we were uh gunning for uh college nationals a bunch of times and um we played uh chain lightning in the semi uh, in the uh, quarterfinals and uh we uh, uh we it was a, it was a time capped game and uh it was a 7-7 tie and one <laughs> of the chain players who is one of my best friends today is named Dave Stick Williams and you can uh, I'm sure you might if you ask Stu Downs about stick, he'll tell you about stick. You just ask Stu about stick, okay? And stick spiked the disc. He thought he was in, and he spiked the disc. He thought it was a game-winning goal, but he wasn't in. He, he saw the back cones of the other field instead of the field he was on. He was, he was not in. So we went down and scored the game-winning goal. We played Ring of Fire in the semifinals of Terminus as a college team. And we lost. We lost fifteen thirteen. It was terrible. Uh, but uh, if, if we weren't at the end of our spring break, we would have beat Ring and went to the final. Uh, but that was our own fault. Uh, you know that says like, we we partied a little too hard in Key West between Frostbreaker and Terminus, and uh, to get back to Greenville. But uh, it was a uh, it was a magical time. That was that. Those are my stories, and I'm just gonna stick with those. Yeah, no, that's great to hear. I love I love kind of hearing the history of some of that, and yeah, to hear teams were still doing still doing all those crazy college things back in the day as well. So, oh man, and I, we would go on spring break. We would leave uh, we would leave Greenville at, in two univer- East Carolina University fifteen person vans. And we would drive down to Frostbreaker in Gainesville, Florida, and Frostbreaker. Then we would go down to Key West and hang in Key West with a couple X-rays, and and uh, we would go back to Terminus and uh, play in Terminus and drive back to Greenville. That was our spring break. But anyway, yes, uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm keeping everyone up much longer than they should be up at this point in the evening. So perhaps I should digress. All right, Matt. Do you have anything else for us? No, no. I think that's about it. I've, uh, yeah, I've had a good time on here. I think think we've covered everything. (laughs) Yeah, love love talking ultimate with y'all. Oh no, this this has been great. This has been great, Matt. You've been fun. So for uh, the Atlanta Hustles, Matt Smith, for my friend and cohort. Alexander Shaggy Shragus. I'm Steve Leinert. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Burning Bird.